Well, today we are wrapping up our series, The Blessed Life. We have spent the last six weeks diving into what God's word says about money, who it belongs to, who gave it to us, and what is our responsibility with what we've been given. And I know, super fun subject. We all love talking about money. So some of you are probably like, we are so glad that this series is gonna be over. But I know that there are others of you who are really thankful that you have a church who has the courage to talk about hard things. And we know that some of you have already begun to take steps and you are experiencing freedom and fruit from that. And so thank you for joining us. We're gonna do a quick recap um, just to catch us all up, because like I said, we're going to be wrapping this whole thing up today. And if you missed anything, you can always go to grumla.com slash messages and catch yourself up there. But just in case, I'm going to give us our little uh, review here. Week one, we learned that it all begins with our hearts, that God knows that his chief competitor for our hearts is our money and our stuff. Matthew 6:21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be be. You see, God's ultimate desire for us is that our desire, that the desire of our hearts would be to love and obey him because he is good and he is kind and he wants what is only best for us. Week two, we learned that a tithe is 10% of what has been given to us and that 10% belongs to God and we are to return it to him. Week three, we saw how that when we give the first 10% to God, how he redeems the rest. It's the principle of the firsts. Week four, we were reminded of the truth that we can only serve one master. And Jesus told us that we cannot serve both mammon, the God of money, and him. That we will either love the one and despise the other or despise one and love the other. We are slaves to what owns us and we must make a choice. And last week, we asked ourselves the hard question, are we generous? And today we're going to bring it all together and see that when we are obedient and give generously to God, he is able to multiply what we have given to him. So we're going to look at today the principles of multiplication. And we're going to start in the book of Mark. And Mark is one of the four gospel accounts of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to read in chapter 6, starting in verse 30. And we're going to read 12 verses together. And the verses aren't going to come up on the screen at first because what I want you to do is grab your phone, open up your U version, or download it, or go grab a Bible. And we're going to read it together first. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds and go. All right, so we're going to start Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And it says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and the people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. 
And late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what they asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish and a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So we're going to break this down as promised, this event together. And for some of you, this is a very familiar passage of scripture. And I've been around church long enough to know that when I hear something that I'm familiar with, I'm tempted to tune out. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to lean in. I'm going to challenge you because just because something's familiar doesn't mean that God doesn't have something new for us to learn. Because if you know this event, chances are you also know that God's word is living and it is active, which means that there is always something that God wants to show us. Well, if you're new to church and the events recorded in scripture here are new to you, then this is going to be especially fun as you will see this historical event not only come to life, but see how it was preserved and recorded so that you could know God's heart, his character, and that he loves and provides for you just as he did in our story. So we're going to go back to verse 30, and we're going to read uh, to verse 34. So starting at verse 30, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that he had done, all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The apostles were the 12 men that Jesus handpicked to be his apprentices. Jesus was teaching them and then sending them out to go teach others about God's love and about his salvation. So the disciples go off and they're preaching and they're healing the sick. And they're like, oh, this is incredible. I mean, people are believing and we're actually doing the work of Jesus. We're seeing people be healed. And so they rush back to tell Jesus about it. But apparently it had been a long day, a long journey, and they were tired and they were hungry. So Jesus attempts to take them away to get some rest. And we see that that's not what happened though. The people saw Jesus leaving and they rushed ahead to get to where Jesus was going to land. And when Jesus and his disciples land on the shore, instead of rest, they're met with a huge crowd of people who want something. And I thought, have you ever been tired and you just wanted rest? You just wanted a moment where someone didn't need anything from you? Well, Jesus gets that. He could actually say, been there. But I want you to take notice in this story. I want you to see Jesus's response to the people. It says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat 
and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So we began to teach them many things. Jesus had compassion on them. Well, if you spent any time with me, chances are you know that it's a total dream of mine to own a piece of property and one day have some animals. And the first thing I want is goats. I have names picked out for them. I, you know, like in my mind, tiny little sweaters, you know, that someone else crocheted for them. You know, Pinterest, eat your heart out. And after that, I want a donkey and a cow and definitely some barn kittens Maybe chickens, still on the fence there with them. But you know one animal I never want? Sheep. Sheep are dumb. They're not cute. You know what they look like? They look like my kids in the morning when they get up. Not that my kids are not cute. My kids are cute. But you know what I'm talking about, that knot in the back of their head that you're like, it's going to take me five minutes to brush that thing out. That's a sheep. I don't want any. And you know what's funny? A few years ago, I was at the state fair. And if you've been at the state fair lately, it's no longer outside anymore. It's in this big building with a concrete floor. And they had just brought some sheep in, and they had put them in a pen. And there was this one sheep that I was watching, and he was just not having it at all. And he would back up, and then he would run forward and ram the sheep in front of him. And then he would back up, and he would run forward, and he rammed the sheep again. And I watched this happen over and over, and I am chuckling to myself, thinking, this is the dumbest animal I have ever seen. And then I felt bad for the sheep that he kept ramming into. And like I do oftentimes, I make the animals talk. And so I thought, this sheep is probably going, dude, Billy, quit ramming into me. I didn't put us in this big pen on this concrete floor, right? Sheep are dumb. They're helpless without a shepherd. I don't want sheep. I don't want to take care of something that's so needy. But Jesus does. Jesus was tired, he was hungry, he was pulled in every direction, and at this moment he was also grieving over the loss of his cousin who was just beheaded by Herod. It's a true story, I don't have time to go there, but you can read it for yourself. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, in his humanity was so very tired, but in his divinity saw his children who were like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. But what does it mean that they were like sheep without a shepherd? What I think is that when Jesus looked at the crowd of people who were waiting for him, he saw people without a guide, without a father who cared for them and taught them the truth. He saw that they were mastered by many things, slaves to rules that could never save, slaves to their own lusts and desires, slaves to sin, Slaves to their circumstances. Slaves to a corrupt and greedy system that cared nothing for the real needs of the people. And he had compassion on them because he knew there was a better way. So he gave up his own needs and began to teach the people because he was the better way. You see, that's what good dads do. They lead their children and they teach them a better way way. And you see, God is a really good father. He has a better way for us. He's a good master. He's a good shepherd. He leads us to places of rest. He cares for all of our needs and gives us more than that, for he is a God of abundance, and he wants us to be free. He is faithful, and we can trust him even when what he asks of us is difficult or seems impossible. 
All right, so here's where we're going to pick up again. It says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what they asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. How much bread do you have? Jesus asked. Go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. All right, so picture this. The disciples were hungry before Jesus took them in the boat to the other shore. And they were supposed to find some rest and lunch when they arrived at their destination. But what they found was a crowd. So Jesus, being Jesus, denies himself and he begins to teach. And the text tells us that it was now late in the day. So you know what Greek for late in the day is? It was late in the day. Jesus was teaching the whole six-week sermon series in one day. So Robert Morris, he's the pastor where we got this content from. He tells the story like this, and I thought I'd try to recreate it because it was pretty funny, and it brings it to life for us. So he says, put yourself in the story. Imagine that you're tired and you're hungry. There is no Chick-fil-A stop, you know, chicken from heaven in the middle of the Sea of Galilee here. So they're hungry. They get to the other side and they don't get what they want. Instead, Jesus begins teaching and he's going on for a long time. So the disciples are thinking, we are going to die of hunger if we don't get something to eat. So they hatch this little plan here. So imagine, all right, so Peter here, we know, uh, Peter says, you know, we know that Jesus loves the people. So we should tell him the people are hungry. I mean, we, we could go forever. I mean, we're, you know, we're used to this, but the, the people are hungry. This should work. So uh, Philip, we're going to have you go tell Jesus. All right, so Philip goes. Jesus is still teaching here. And Philip goes up and he says, <coughs> teacher, <coughs> hey, excuse me, excuse me, Jesus. Jesus like, yeah, Philip. He's like, yeah, you know, this whole thing, this is great. I mean, you've been doing a great job. And I mean, this, this whole, you know, six week, this was you know, kind of supposed to be a six weeks series, not, you know, you're giving it all in one day and I really got to give it to you. But um, <clears throat> the people are hungry. We were wondering if you could um, wrap it up. And I imagine that Jesus looks at Peter, Philip, whoever went up to him with a, a little, little smirk and says, hmm, the people are hungry? Yes, Lord. I mean, we, we could go all day. I mean, we, you know, we, we've been doing your work. We've been, but the, the people are hungry. And so Jesus says, well, you feed them. Philip's like, you feed them. Okay, Jesus, there's like 5,000 families here. Not 5,000 people, like 5,000 families. What are, what are we going to feed them with? Well, go figure it out. So I imagine Philip goes back to the 11, and can you imagine poor Philip? He's like, uh, okay, okay, so here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you feed him. What, Philip? What? We didn't hear you. What? We're hungry. Come on. Is Jesus going to wrap it up? Is he going to give all six weeks? What's going on here? Philip says, Jesus said we should feed him. We should feed him. With what? He said, well, go find out how much we have. Well, it just so happens that a small boy with five loaves of bread and two fish offers up his lunch. So this will have to do. That's all we got, right? So the 12 men take this meager offering to Jesus. And I imagine that same grin on Jesus' face when the men approach him with this small offering. That will do. 
and this is what the text tells us. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100, and Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. What Jesus asked of the disciples was impossible, but not with God. You see, God takes what we give him and he multiplies it. It's the principles of multiplication. So I'm gonna show you two principles that we find here in the passage. And the first one is this, it has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. And the second is it has to be given away in order for it to be multiplied. So let's look at the first. It has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. Mark 6, 41 says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up towards heaven and blessed them. The disciples brought to Jesus what they had and they gave it to him. Jesus took it and he blessed it. It's the principle of the firsts. You give to God first, the first 10%, and he redeems the rest. And I ask you this question, what would have happened if the disciples had just started divvying out the food before they gave it to Jesus first? If they had said, okay, we have five loaves, we have two fish, we're just gonna start breaking it up and just giving it to the people. Well, I tell you, it never would have multiplied. And it's the same with us. Because many people say, well, I give a little here and I give a little there. You know, that is what we do though when we are the master of our money. When we're the master of our own lives, we decide when and how much and where we will give to. But when we do that, we are really robbing God. Because God tells us that the first belongs to him. And if you're in this room and you call yourself a Jesus follower, this is not a suggestion. God tells us to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And he actually uses that really strong language back in Malachi. And this is a little review from before, but it says in Malachi, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And God's reply is in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, yet you, the whole nation, he's talking about the nation of Israel, are still robbing me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Not a little here and a little there and when I feel like it and when I can. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. That's multiplication. And that is hard for some of you right now, maybe even impossible. But so does feeding 5,000 families with five loaves of bread and two fish. All right, let's look at the second principle and then I'll wrap things up. It has to be given away in order for it to be multiplied. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families 
were fed. I would have loved to have seen this. Jesus just keeps giving the disciples more and more and more until everyone has their fill and they have 12 basketfuls of leftovers left. 12. They started with five loaves of bread and two fish. Impossible, right? Well, I don't think so. Before um, Grumlaw and uh, Venture merged, the Heartland campus was known as Venture and the River. And when it was the River, we met at a school. And when I started, they had even met at a school prior to that. But I remember um, when the leadership of the church had decided that being a portable church was taking its toll. It was taking its toll on the volunteers. It was just taking its toll on even um, the staff of church. And so um, the leadership decided that it it was time to start a, a campaign to build a new campus. And I can remember uh, very vividly Terry Prisk standing on stage and presenting this. And a number came into my head and I thought, okay, like that seems like a lot of money, but I think we can do it. And I don't remember the time frame, but it was very soon after that God said to me, nope, you're not going to give that much. You're going to give three times that number. And I thought, three times, Lord? That's impossible. We have one income, and we don't have many extras. We don't go on vacation. We had older cars that were paid out. We uh, paid off. We didn't go out to eat. There was no college savings account. We literally lived on what we had, and God had always faithfully provided for us. But this number, it just wasn't possible. But thankfully, my husband and I had been following Jesus for long enough to know that God is a good dad and he's a really good and faithful provider. So when it came time to write down that pledge amount, we just did it. On pure faith, we wrote down that three times more number. And all I can tell you is that like the five loaves of bread and two fish, there was always enough, including the three times more extra pledge that God had asked us to give. And I don't know still to this day where it came from, but every single month that money was there. So I don't need to be on a hill long ago when Jesus fed thousands with a meager little offering to believe that God can multiply the little that we give to him. I've sat on my own hill on pure faith and offered to God what he asked me to give. And I've watched him multiply it it over and over and over. You see, it has to be given away in order for it to be multiplied. Just like if the disciples had taken that five, the five loaves and the two fish and just given them out before Jesus blessed it, it would not have multiplied. It will never multiply if the disciples had not given it out. What if they had kept, so they give it to Jesus, Jesus blesses it, and they go, oh, I'm so hungry. Yes, he's blessed the food, let's eat. And they had kept it for themselves. I tell you, it would never have been multiplied. They had to give it away. We have to give away what God has given us. And that doesn't mean the tithe. You see, what I've learned from studying this message is that the tithe is simply returning to God what is already his. That's not giving. Giving is what we give over and beyond the tithe. And God has asked us to do both, to bring both the tithe and the offering to him. But you know what would be great right now? 
if I could sit down with you, if you and I could just have coffee somewhere together, and I could ask you right now what you were thinking. And I can imagine that if you felt totally safe and you were honest, your response might be impossible. Can't do it. Don't want to do it. I'm afraid. You don't understand. I've made too many financial mistakes and we're just trapped. What if God doesn't come through? How? Where do I even begin? And then I'd love to tell you story after story where my good and faithful shepherd met me in my need, in my questions, in my fear, and in my mustard seed faith and provided for me abundantly every time. How all my worry over how we'd get another car when the one we had died, how I'd pay for my daughter's college when I chose to stay home over a savings account, how we'd replace this or that, how all of those worries came to nothing as my abundant heavenly father provided for my every need and always more abundantly than I could have ever asked or imagined. You see, this isn't a fairy tale or some made-up story. It's not just the 5,000 families on the hill. Or it's not even just my story. Because I would believe that if you could ask the people at Grandma that you could, and we had time that they could get up and tell you story after story after story of how they gave little to God and how he multiplied their resources abundantly. It's just who our God is. And so I want to share with you this morning Dan and Katrin's story. Dan and Katrin are a perfect example of how when you are faithful to God and you obey him, how he blesses and multiplies it. You know, we were raised in Christian homes. Uh, not to say that, you know, we always gave um, tithe throughout our lives. Um, you know, I can remember uh, in my you know, younger years and teens, like it being a big thing from, from our parents. But once we got out on my own, um, it wasn't a priority for me, um, quite honestly. College and a little bit after college, it wasn't something that um, I really wanted to do. Definitely. When I started, I was kind of kicking and screaming inside. Like I was, I knew it was time, but I wasn't ready and I wasn't making any good money at all. Money was really hard to come by back then. And uh, it was a big struggle, really big struggle. But now it's become normal and it's, my life has been blessed because of it. And it's gotten so much better with our finances that now it truly is a joy. And, you know, we were both tithing before we got, got married, but it was a conversation that we had when we were engaged, you know, as far as putting our budget together, um, what is important for both of us and tithing was definitely the number one thing on there was to make sure that that was a priority as we um, came together and got got married so um, yeah I yeah. think in a lot of ways it was easier because we were tithing separately before mm -hmm. we got engaged and married because that transition point was similar for yep. both of us which was I'm sure makes it easier yeah I think that that's the the beauty of like financial freedom is that like you don't feel that burden on your shoulders anymore um, and I think that's one thing that's come out of um, our obedience and tithing is that it's given us that different viewpoint of money um, that's kind of helped us get to this point of um, I don't know it's just like it's just freeing uh, I guess is really the the only way I can put it um, yeah and we're asked to be the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth and because we have 
freedom, financial freedom, it, we're more able to feel like willingly help other areas. And does that mean that I don't want a house? No, of course not. I'd love to buy our first house. Like I know that the time will come and I know God has been faithful and has blessed us beyond what we deserve. And I, I know when it comes that it'll be worth the wait. So for now, it's great enjoying this freedom and um, yeah, just being able to concentrate on other people. Like it's a joyful thing. Like it really is to be able to um, tithe, but then also give um, give more of our finances. Like it's kind of a it's a very freeing feeling um, just to know that the money doesn't control us, um, but that you know God God has blessed us right um, with our finances, and uh, we're really really excited to be able to bless other people and bless Him. So. I would say start now, even if it's a certain percentage, a small percentage, and work up to your 10%. But I think starting it as myself as an individual was really important because when we got married and we came together, it was not a question of if or how much or what that looked like. Like both of us were on the same page because it was in my heart already and it was in his heart already. So I would start um, really now because you're just gonna be more blessed the more that you can um, love God's people mm -hmm. tangibly. Yeah, and I think a really like tangible way to do that is to um, create a budget, right? Uh, you know, that's one thing that um, before we were married we did and then um, once we got married was really important for us to do is to create a budget. And it's amazing once you actually put down like all of your finances and where you're putting your money, like you might think that I can't tithe, but the reality is you can't, you really can't. It really reminds you that like the money is not yours, and it kind of like gives you that, um, just that mindset of, you know, if there's, if there's something that I can do um, for the kingdom of God or for other people with my finances, like it just kind of puts you in that different mindset, I guess, um, when you uh, realize that it's not yours to begin with. Um, you know, that that God blessed you with it anyways. Um, it's so much more freeing to just let it go. It really is. Well, if you want this to be your story, if you want to see God show up more and more and multiply what you give to him, I'm going to leave you with some very practical steps to start taking. The first is this, begin to tithe, then get out of debt, and then give. Begin to tithe, a real tithe, 10% of your gross income. I know you're like, it's impossible but with God, all things are possible. Get out of debt. Debt is a cruel master and it does not have your best interest in mind. It is not a good shepherd. It is not a good master. Sell the toys, get rid of the leases, figure out a way to aggressively get out of debt. And if you need help, there are people here in this church who have offered their resources and their time for free to help you get out of debt. It is a a cruel master and then begin to give above and beyond the 10%. And where you ask, 
That's between you and God. And it's incredible that we are actually kicking off this week, our very first um, week of giving to blessed. And what blessed is, is when we give to God above and beyond the tithe to the church to, so that God can multiply the influence and the impact that we are able to have. And so it's a great place if you're like, hey, I want to begin to practice this and put this into practice, then you can give to blessed. All right, to close this, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to listen to this, and then I want you to pray with me. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. He said, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. The truth in God's word has the power to save you, to set you free. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and God wants you to be free. But James goes on and says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. So pray this with me. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do with the truth that I have heard today, with the truth that I have heard over these last six weeks? God, show me and help me to obey. You are a good, kind Father who I can trust. And when you ask me to do something, I can trust you because you have my best interest in mind, because you have always provided for your children. You are good and you are love and you are kind. God, help me to obey. Amen.